the enemy will try to put you to sleep in prayer so that you don't have what you need to strike when the enemy comes against you. Today is the day of salvation. This is what you've been waiting for. Get ready for a night of Holy Ghost power. September 22nd, miracles, signs, and wonders. Register now at fireduppoverty.com. Turn to John 18. This is in speaking of the betrayal and the arrest in the garden of Gethsemane. In verse 1, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples over the brook of Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. And Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. It's a place that he went frequently. It's a place of prayer. He went frequently, and he went with his disciples. As a matter of fact, in, in Luke 22, it says he was accustomed to going to this place, and his disciples went with him. Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came there with lanterns and torches and weapons, uh, knowing, therefore, Jesus, knowing all things. Say, Jesus knows all things. He knew all things that were going to come about, all things that were going to come upon him. Yet he still went forward. He knew what they were here for, but yet he still went forward. And he said to them, whom are you seeking? Now, remember, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And remember that the Garden of Gethsemane is the oil press. And I've taught you on this before, that the oil press, you know, is what the Gethsemane means, uh, oil press. And in order for you to receive the oil, the olive oil, the pure oil, you need to go through the pressing, through the crushing, through the grinding, through the pulverizing in order to extract that which is pure, that which is holy, that which is costly, the oil, right? And olive has to go through this process. But spiritually, for us as well, there is a process to walk in a greater level of anointing and authority. And that is through keeping your eyes on Jesus, no matter what, even in the greatest of difficulties. Keeping your eyes on Jesus and allowing what comes up and out of you when you're being pressured, when the pressure comes, right? When you're being pulverized, that's exactly what they had to do to those olives in order to extract the oil, right? So Jesus is in the garden of the oil pressing, the garden of Gethsemane, because here he's standing in this garden, and then who comes but Judas, the betrayer, with, his, with men ready to arrest Jesus, and Jesus, knowing what is about ready to happen, still goes forward. He says, whom are you seeking? And they answered, and they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said, I am he. And the power that came forth from those words, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing there, and they all heard, I am he. And they drew back, and they fell to the ground. They literally fell to the ground because there was a power demonstration when the Lord said, I am the one you're looking for. I am he. And people wonder, well, you know, falling to the ground, sometimes they say, well, why does people in your church fall to the ground? It's not biblical. Give me an example. This is only one example. We know the priests could barely even stand to do the work of the Lord because the glory of God was so, so rich, so thick in that place. But the words, I am he, were spoken, and the power of God came forth. Don't tell me that was a demonic power. Now, we know demons can push people too. 
And you need to know, you have to have a manner of discernment what's going on in the room. And you need to be able to discern what is of God and what is of the devil. Absolutely. But here he said, I am he. And what came forth out of Jesus but the power of God, the demonstration to show these men that are about ready to arrest him, that are about ready to give him over to be killed, to be brutally beaten first and then literally killed, right? I am he. And they fall to the ground. And they cannot deny what they have just seen, what they have experienced in the power of God just by a simple word. It's not a simple word, church. It may sound simple, but it's the power of God. Now, when you speak forth the word of God, it may sound simple. You may think it's very simple. It's filled with God's power. And when your spirit is backed up behind, in other words, when you believe what you're saying, that's what I mean by when your spirit. When you believe uh, with every fiber within your body, with everything within you, when you believe the word of the Lord that's coming out of your mouth, it is coming out with power. It is coming out with God's goodness. It is coming out with God's salvation to heal, to bring restoration, to bring God's resolve. When you believe God's word, when you don't, it's not that the word doesn't have power. Oh, it does. But God is going to move through someone that he can partner with because God is into partnering with the spirit of the, of the individual and the Lord himself. Let every ear hear, even now, from the spirit of the living God. Because when we walk in sync with Holy Spirit, we are literally walking in the dunamis power of the I am he, which is what he said. That's all he said. I am he. And they fell back. It's the word. We all read it. Has God changed? Because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. Is that kind of a display? Is that kind of a, a presentation or demonstration, I should say? Is that just for Jesus? Or did he say, I've given you all authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy? Did he say that nothing shall by any means harm you? In Luke 10, 19, yes, he did. He gave us all authority to walk in all of his word, right? So here he's praying. Peter, James, and John are also with him in the Garden of Gethsemane, and they're praying. And it's a difficult hour because Jesus knows what he's about ready to walk into, meaning the torment, the brutality, there's just the horrific death. But yet, oh, Judas comes with those that are going to arrest him, and Jesus just gives his identity. He, gives his, he reveals who he is. Why is it? That sometimes in the midst of a, a difficult gathering, you forget to reveal who Jesus is. That's as simple as it is, you guys. He's not looking for you to figure out the solution. He's just looking for you to come into agreement with who he is. You don't need to figure out how am I going to resolve this? How, what am I supposed to say here? How, 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 how is this going to turn around? What am I supposed to do to turn this around? All you need to do is decree who Jesus is. 
You just need to decree that the great I am is here present with us. Is this making sense? Are we hearing this? Because it's powerful if you get this truth. It's really not about them falling down or not. It's about understanding your identity in Christ and walking in the strength of that word. In Luke 22, starting in verse 39. Again, this is referencing the prayer in the garden. Coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed. And his disciples also followed him, Peter, James, and John. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. He tells us to pray, to pray at all times. Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and he prayed. And this is what he prayed. He said, Father... If it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, what a powerful word right there. Nevertheless, not my will, Lord, but yours be done. And then an angel appeared and strengthened him. King of kings. But the one that would come and walk amongst us to show us that a life dependent upon a Holy Spirit is 100% possible. Remember, Jesus never gave up being God. He's still God. But he did give up his divine privileges. So while he walked on earth, he had to rely on God's power, on the spirit of God, like we did. But he never stopped being God, but he did give up his divine privileges for that period of time that he walked on earth. So that we would have no excuse well, I can't do that. I'm not God. Of course you can do it. You're God. No, he relied on the Holy Spirit. He relied on the power of God as we do too and need to. Amen. So, Father, if it is your will, verse 42, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. And then an angel appears to him from heaven and strengthening him. It strengthens him. An angel comes and strengthens him because he's doing the will of God. When you're in a difficult place and you're saying, Lord, I don't know what to do. This is so hard. It's so difficult. Nevertheless, Lord, I don't really know the will in this scenario. In this specific scenario, I'm not sure what the will of God is. Lord, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. If you know the will of God, then you know it. Stand firm on the word. If you know the will of God, and if you know your word, you know what the will of God is for healing. You know what the will of God is for your finances, for restoration. You know what the will of God is for salvation. You know. You don't have to say, Lord, if it's your will for the little Johnny to be saved, you know it's the will of God for a people to be saved. All people. We know not all men are going to come into salvation, but it's not because it's not the will of God. It's because it's their choice to actually reject the gift of God in Christ the Son, right? But we do know the will of God for salvation. We do know the will of God for healing. We know it because salvation is sozo, saved, healed, and delivered. We know the will of God when it comes to being set free and being delivered. We know. So we don't have to say, Lord, if it be your will, when you know. But in the areas that you are not sure, there are areas in our lives, sometimes we don't know the specific perfect will of God in that area. Lord, Nevertheless, your will be done is an appropriate prayer. Absolutely. And Jesus prayed it. And not just once, but he prayed it three times in this garden. He prayed it three times. And verse 44, being in agony, 
he prayed more earnestly. And you guys know how that is. You pray, and then you start realizing you need to get more, you need to get more uh, militant. You know, you, you, in here, he says he prayed in agony. And he prayed earnestly. And then his sweat became like great drops of blood. That is some great emotional stress for his sweat to become like drops of blood. And when he rose up from prayer and had come to his disciples, he found them sleeping from sorrow. That's a lot of sorrow, church. It's intense. You know, Jesus went to them and they were asleep. I'm sure that was quite disappointing. In a moment where he was praying more earnestly in agony, he comes and he finds that they're sleeping. That had to have been somewhat disappointing. But when man fails you, church, when man fails you, God is with you. Supernaturally, he will strengthen you. He'll send his angels if need be, but he will strengthen you. And he never leaves you. He says in his word, I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. So he sees them sleeping. He finds them sleeping. Verse 46, and he says to them, why do you sleep? Rise up and pray. And he says, listen, it's for your benefit that I'm asking you to pray, not mine. I already know what I'm walking into. I already know the plan of God, and I said, yes, I'm choosing it. I willingly choose this plan. It's not an easy road, but I willingly choose it. I'm asking you to pray, not for my sake, but for your sake, so that you won't fall into temptation. He's telling us the same. Stand and pray. Could you not pray for even an hour? Stand and pray. It's for your sake that your spirit man... Be built up. That's only one reason. You're going to move mountains. You're going to destroy demonic assignments. Come on, church. That's why we pray in the faith. In the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, in tongues. In Jude 20, it says that you build up your spirit, man. What does the world always try to destroy and malign and literally slime and taint? But your spirit. Your spirit, where the Holy Spirit resides. That's why you sometimes are grieved. You're grieved in your spirit because you know right from wrong because you love God. And then when things come about, you go, oh, that's not good. And other people are oblivious. They're laughing. They're oblivious. They're fine. And you seem to be the only one in the group that is not fine. And you're going, is it me or is it them? If you're, if you're trained to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and your spirit is grieved, what that tells you is that you have nurtured your spirit to be very sensitive to what pleases God and what displeases God. And when there's a check like that, though others are laughing, and anything but laughter comes to your mind, like there's a, oh, my gosh, you feel terrible, right? It's wrong. It's just wrong. It's wrong. It's wrong. That's the Holy Spirit in you saying, that's not me. That, that's not me. Your spirit has been built up because you're praying, because you're not tolerating mixture. Jesus didn't tolerate mixture. When they came to arrest him, he just said, I am he. They fell. The power of God moved upon them. 
because he's pure, he's holy. But the Bible tells us we are called to be pure and to walk holy with the Lord our God. He's perfect perfection with no sin in him. But we're called to walk holy. We're called to make choices. We're called to build up our spirit man by not allowing mixture to, to taint us. They were sleeping. And he said, could you not pray for one hour? It is for your benefit. It is for your safety. It's so that you don't fall into temptation. It's so that you know right from wrong. It's so that your manner of discernment could increase in a group full of people that seem to be oblivious. I want to move in you. I want you to be the one that's going to speak up because you know this is not God. It's for our benefit that we are called to pray. And Jesus told them this during a time when he was so grieved himself. So full of agony himself. I don't know about you guys, but every time I read this account, I mean, just knowing that Jesus is in the garden, the olive press, the garden of pressing, and he himself was being pressed. He said he was agonizing over this. When he rose from prayer and came to his disciples and he found them sleeping from sorrow, and he said, why do you sleep? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. And while he was still speaking, a multitude, <laughs> and he who was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before him and drew near to kiss Jesus. And some of you get so offended when somebody comes to you and tells you the truth in love that you'll accept a kiss from a demonic spirit. But kisses from an enemy are deceitful. Am I speaking to anybody in this room? This is a scripture. Proverbs 27, 6. Most people just want to go and walk in flattery. And there are a lot of people that buy right on into that. They just buy into it. And they don't see the flattery. But actually, it's full of deceit. Rise up and, and stop misjudging things. Because there's a misjudgment happening sometimes with that. So 40, verse 48. Jesus said to him, Judas, Judas... Are you betraying the son of man with a kiss? Of course, Jesus knows all things. But don't you love how he presents questions? And it's really, again, it's not for his sake, but it's for ours. Because it makes you think when somebody kind of puts you in your place like this, doesn't it? You go, oh, wait, why? Yeah, I guess I am. Why should, I shouldn't be doing this. Why am I doing this? And so verse 49, when those around him saw what was going to happen, they said to him, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. But Jesus said, permit even this. And he touched his ear and healed them. He healed the man's ear. He put the ear back on. And then Jesus said to the, to the priests and the captains of the temple and the elders who had come to him, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? He's like, why do you feel the need to do it this way? I've been walking amongst you in the broad daylight in public, and you try to come here in hiding and secrecy. You know, he says, when I was with you daily in the temple, did you not try to seize me? But this is the hour. This is the hour and the power of darkness. Don't tell me that darkness doesn't have power. This is the hour. Are we all reading the same thing? But this is your hour and the power of darkness. He just read it. He just said all of this to them. You tried to seize me. You could have done so in the open. You could have done so another time. 
But to fulfill prophecy, we're going to go through this way. But he says, but this is your hour. You would think someone says, this is your hour. They're about ready to give you a really good word after that. He says, the power of darkness. You're full of lies and deceit, and your father is the father of lies. There is a power that darkness brings. But you as a child of God should also bring the power of resurrection, of which we celebrate every day. Because we know our Lord is not dead, but he is alive. And he lives through us. Amen. The hour, your hour, and the power of darkness shouldn't cause any fear. It should cause strength. Because anytime anybody opposed Jesus, he rose in the strength of the word and he destroyed those agents, those demonic agents, and so shall we. But we have to have eyes to see, right? Being in sync with Holy Spirit. Matthew 26 and in verse 36. He, he took with Peter, James, and John. He began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. And he said to them, my soul is exceeding, exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch with me. We will watch and pray, church. And he went a little further and he fell on his face and he prayed saying, oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he, like I said, he prayed this three times. Let this cup pass from me. If it be possible. If it's possible, let this cup pass from me, Lord. And then he came to the disciples, found them sleeping, and he said, he said to Peter, what? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, a second time he went away and he prayed, oh, my father, if this cup cannot pass. Again, let this cup pass from me. He says, if this cup cannot pass from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and he found them sleeping again. Do you know that sometimes there's a demon called sleep? And he comes over you. And anytime I see that demon of sleep come over you in church, I call it out. But it's a, it's a demon of sleep and slumber. He continues to go back, and they continue to fall asleep. Like, we know what is about ready to happen. The most critical time in your life, the enemy will try to put you to sleep in prayer so that you don't have what you need to strike when the enemy comes against you. God wanted to give you revelation as to how to pray for that individual, that child of yours. But you were sleeping instead of praying, and you didn't receive the keys that you needed so that there would not be death. Provision is always available in Christ. But we have to understand, if you're really trying to pray and you're just trying, and you're like, oh, I don't understand. Every time I open my Bible, I fall asleep. Take authority. It's a demon. And it's trying to put you to sleep. It doesn't want you to read the word of God. It doesn't want you to stay awake in church. It doesn't want you to stay awake in prayer. Take authority and command that thing to leave. Because God has something for you, which is why the enemy tries so hard to keep you shut up. In other words, just like with an inability to be responsive, right? So in verse 44, he left them and he went away again and he prayed a third time saying the same words. And he came to his disciples and he said to them, are you still sleeping <laughs> and resting? And behold, he says, the hour is at hand and the son of man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. 
It's one thing to be betrayed by someone you don't know too well, but it's a whole other level when you're betrayed by someone that you know very well, someone you chose. He chose Judas to be his disciple. He chose, he walked with him. Judas walked with Jesus for the three and a half years that he was on earth, fulfilling his earthly ministry. He was being mentored by Jesus, and yet he turned his heart, he turned his back, and he allowed greed to get into his heart. We know that it didn't end well for Judas. We know it was pretty horrific. But he, Jesus kept saying, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, your will be done. So it's not just the brutality in the way that he was literally like murdered. It's not and how horrific it was, and it was horrific. But beyond that, at that moment of being nailed on the cross, it was the sin of all mankind that was being placed upon Jesus, past, present, and future, all of mankind's sin, all being placed upon our Savior. We know that sin separates us from God. Jesus, whom is God, and experienced divine communion with his heavenly Father, never knew separation from God. But sin separates us from God. It wasn't even his sin that separated. But there was a moment that he knew he was going to walk into where he would feel that separation. And that horrific feeling of separation was so, so, so gruesome. So it caused him to be in agony. Say, oh, Lord, can this cup pass from me? Nevertheless, your will be done because I know the end. And even if I have to suffer that moment of separation with God because of a people that have not even been born, not everyone, people that haven't even known me, don't know me, haven't chosen me, some that never will, those that are right here in front of me that are literally mocking me, betraying me, releasing who will release, murder a murderer, instead of an innocent man, all their sins being placed upon me, the separation that he felt was very, very grand. We don't really always stop to think about this and how heavy that is. Let this cup pass. Oh, God, let this cup pass. Have you ever prayed, let this cup pass? Maybe not exactly in that phrase, but it's something that was so, so difficult. You didn't know that you were going to have the strength to walk through that path. You didn't know that you were going to have the grace to carry it out. And when the cup didn't pass, but because you called on the name of the Lord, he equipped you. And he gave you the grace. And he gave you the strength. For his grace is truly sufficient. His power is made perfect in our weakness. His power. When we rest upon his power, when we think about the agony of his death, of separation. Wow. We realize, my goodness, Lord, we don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit, not in one little tiny way. There are some people that are okay with sinning. They think they're okay. They're not okay. But they think they're okay with all kinds of sin. They're okay. It's, it's blatantly obvious to others that this is so flat out wrong, but they're okay with it because their hearts are becoming hard, right? Their hearts become calloused, right? 
My prayer, my desire is, is that in the delivery of this word, that the sensitivity to the Lord and not grieving him, even a tiny, tiny bit, will be what is on the very forefronts of your minds. That you don't care about what other people do or don't do, but you are concerned with your walk with Christ.